Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. And just a note, if you're familiar with this passage, where it would normally say, Son of Man, the common English Bible says, Human One. So if it strikes your ears differently, that's why. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Not the heavenly angels and not the Son. Only the Father knows. As it was in the time of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the human one. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. They didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. The coming of the human one will be like that. At that time, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know what day the Lord is coming. But you understand that if the head of the house knew at what time the thief would come, he would keep alert and wouldn't allow the thief to break into his house. Therefore, you also should be prepared, because the human one will come at a time you don't know. The Gospel of the Lord. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we reflect upon it this morning, your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. In the weeks leading up to Advent, I had us reflect on the writings of the prophets because they helped us to understand the kind of hopes that the Jewish people had been cultivating for their Messiah. It also helped us to understand the nature of the season of Advent. First, we read from Haggai, who was witness to the rebuilding of the temple, but also envisioned the glory that was to come. Next, we read from Isaiah, who witnessed the destruction of warfare, but also envisioned a world free from suffering of any kind. And finally, we read from Jeremiah, who saw the downfall of the kings of Judah, but envisioned the world under the reign of a king of righteousness, who would not fail the people. All the prophets capture the spirit of the Advent season because they are simultaneously witnessing the present moment while anticipating the reign of God that is to come. And it would be easy to dismiss the prophets as idealistic or naive. Many in their own time treated them as if they were simply insane as if they simply didn't understand how the world worked. And yet their hope was not rooted in some saccharine understanding of human nature. Their hope was rooted in the promises made by God. Their hope was rooted in the loyalty that God had already showed to the people of God. We, like the ancient prophets, stand at the crossroads of the past, present, and future. 
In this season of Advent, we remember the faithfulness of God as demonstrated through the law, the prophets, and the Messiah. But we also recognize that the birth of Jesus Christ was not the final fulfillment of the kingdom. And so we look forward to that second coming when the reign of God will be firmly established in heaven and earth. And as we look forward and backward, we do so from the perspective of our lived reality in the present moment. We are told in today's gospel reading that nobody but God will know when that moment of final fulfillment will be achieved. And so we must be ready at any time. And Christ tells us that it's not going to be an easy task for us to be ready. It will be, he says, as it was in the time of Noah. Jesus says, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing of the flood until the flood came and swept them away. Eating, drinking, getting married, that all sounds pretty run-of-the-mill. If that was all the people had been doing, it makes the flood seem entirely monstrous and arbitrary. So what does the story of the flood actually say about the earth in the days of Noah? In Genesis chapter 6, we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So, okay, the people were no doubt eating, drinking, and getting married. But the bigger picture here, the underlying message of what Jesus is warning, is that the people were so lost in evil that they went about their day-to-day -day lives as if nothing was wrong. As long as they had food, drink, and family, they didn't care about anyone else. And Jesus tells his listeners, he tells us, until the Son of Man returns, this is the kind of world you will be living in. You have to be on guard. You have to be different. Because if you're not, you won't recognize that anything is wrong until it's too late. Until after the judgment is declared. Until after the lambs have been separated from the goats. With the new Star Wars movie coming out this month, there's been a series of novels and comics to fill the gap between the last movie and this one. I've been reading one of those novels called Resistance Reborn, and the largest enemy that faces the protagonists throughout the book is not actually the direct violence of the author authoritarian regime called the First Order. Instead, the largest enemy is the apathy of seemingly decent folks who are unwilling to speak out against their friends and neighbors being disappeared. The apathy of folks who would rather keep their head down because as long as they have food and drink and family, it's just easier to not care about anyone else. Like those in the time of Noah, it's easier for these characters to just go about their day, to not think about the evils of the world around them. One of the characters in the book actually works for the First Order, and even though he knows about the atrocities committed by the people he works for, he can mentally distance himself from all of that. Until he suddenly finds himself 
face-to-face with prisoners who are completely normal people, people whose only crime was speaking out against a government that abused its power. And in that moment of up-close evil, he suddenly is forced to reflect on all the moments of everyday evil in his life. All the times that he walked past someone in need, about all the times that he shrugged off a news story about something wrong that his bosses had done. And that's all it takes for us as well. One moment when the grace of God strikes our conscience in a way that we can't ignore. That's all it takes to put us on watch for the kingdom that is coming. Now, hopefully, most of us won't ever deal with something as drastic as coming face-to-face with political prisoners. But there's enough going on in the world that if we let our barriers down for just a minute, God's grace is going to wake us up, is going to let us know that things aren't as they should be, is going to disrupt our lives so that we can no longer be content keeping our heads down. I was talking with a colleague this week who's been in ministry for a while. And one of the things he said in the course of our conversation was that sometimes church is the hardest thing that we do every week. Now, on the one hand, we could agree that there are ways in which this is a problem. Church shouldn't be the hardest thing because it feels like a chore or an obligation. But on the other hand, there is something right about church being the hardest thing we do every week. When we encounter God's word, we should have to do some wrestling. The author of Jude speaks of contending for the faith. Paul speaks of straining forward to what lies ahead. Even in today's reading, when Christ speaks about being vigilant, like someone keeping watch over a house all night, that is a struggle. It's a hard thing to hold in tension the world as it currently is with the world that God has promised it will be. It's hard enough to navigate the present moment, but as Christians, we're trying to navigate the present moment, prepare for the future that we know is coming, and stay rooted in the faithfulness that God has shown in the past. No wonder that church is sometimes the hardest thing we do each week. But we also know that we're never alone in that struggle. We know that God cares so much for us that he came to live among us, to share in our struggles and our grief, to experience our joys and our celebrations, to know what it is to be fully human so that we can know what it is to be made in the image of the one who is fully divine. And so I want to leave you with an Advent poem written by Brian Zond, the pastor of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. The poem is titled, The World as It Is, and I think it perfectly captures what it means for us to dwell in the tension, the struggle, and the hope of Christian faith. He writes, I take the world as it is and still believe, debauched and beautiful, sordid and seemly, where Kerouac is a secular saint heard uncensored telling his story on the road with Dean Moriarty. 
In the long run, Merton took a better turn, but still the beat goes on. Take your stand on whatever smidgen of faith you have. Smack dab in a world of hustlers and hookers, users and losers, liars and lovers. Don't waste your life on a pastel watercolor faith that runs if touched by a tear or a drop of sweat. Can you take the world as it is and still believe in God? Can you take people as they are and still believe in love? Or do you only play at make-believe, a world of terracotta saints, of little houses on soundstage prairies, so not at home in the world as it is that you can't wait for it to be left behind? That, my friend, is no real faith. It's scripted B-movie phoniness, rated G for gullible audiences. A real faith lives in a real world, the world as it is, sordid and seemly, debauched and beautiful. It's the little town of Bethlehem, good enough for the Son of God. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God of the long night, strengthen us so that we may stay vigilant. Keep our eyes open to justice. Keep our hands open to our neighbors. Keep our hearts open to your ways. May we ever be grounded in your reality so that the struggles of the present don't blind us to the promises of the future. Amen. Friends, as we prepare for communion, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the greatest source of strength that we have for the journey is the sacrament that we are about to receive. In the United Methodist Church, communion is not merely a symbol of a dinner that we remember. Communion is a real means of God's grace. It is God's real, tangible, touchable presence in our lives. And so as we take this meal, we join not only in communion with one another in this room, but in communion with all the saints that have come before us, all the saints that will follow after us, in communion with all of God's people who are all strengthened by the Spirit of God. And so when we get to the part of our service where we proclaim the mystery of faith, I hope you'll hold in your heart the reality of the God who is, who was, and who will forever be.